order for morning prayer daily throughout the year is found beginning on page one of the Book of Common Prayer. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. Though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us. Dearly beloved brethren, the scripture moveth us in sundry places to acknowledge and confess our manifold sins and wickedness, and that we should not dissemble nor cloak them before the face of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, but confess them with a humble, lowly, penitent, and obedient heart, to the end that we may obtain forgiveness of the same by his infinite goodness and mercy. And although we ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before God, it ought we most chiefly so to do, when we assemble and meet together to render thanks for the great benefits that we have received at his hands, to set forth his most worthy praise, to hear his most holy word, and to ask those things which are requisite and necessary, as well for the body as the soul. Wherefore I pray and beseech you, as many as are here present, to accompany me with a pure heart and humble voice, under the throne of the heavenly grace, saying after me. Please kneel, Babel. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no help in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent. According to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desireth not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, and hath given power and commandment to his ministers, to declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardoneth and absolveth all those who truly repent and unfailingly believe his holy gospel. Wherefore, let us beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that those things may please him which we do with this present, and that the rest of our life hereafter may be pure and holy so that at the last we may come to his eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. O Lord, open thou our lips, and our mouth shall shout forth thy 
even he that leadeth an uncorrupt life, and doeth the thing which is right, and speaketh the truth from his heart. He that hath used no deceit in his tongue, nor done evil to his neighbor, and hath not slandered his neighbor. He that setteth not by himself, but is lowly in his own eyes, and maketh much of them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth unto his neighbor, and disappointeth him not, though it were to his own hindrance. He that hath not given his money upon usury, nor taken reward against the innocent, whoso doeth these things shall never fall. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Preserve me, O God, for in thee have I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my God, my goods are nothing unto thee. All my delight is upon the saints that are in the earth, and upon such as excel in virtue. But they that run after another God shall have great trouble. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, neither make mention of their names within my lips. The Lord himself is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou shalt maintain my lot. The lot is fallen unto me in a fair ground. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will thank the Lord for giving me warning. My reins also chasten me in the night season. I have set God always before me, for he is on my right hand, therefore I shall not fall. Wherefore my heart was glad and my glory rejoiced, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For why? Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, neither shalt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou shalt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there is pleasure forevermore. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here beginneth the 16th verse of the third chapter of the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Galatians. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and two seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham 
by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it would ordain by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Here endeth the first lesson. Please join me in the Tadeum on page six. Thank you. 
Here beginneth the 23rd verse of the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. He reneth the second lesson. Please join me in the
Father and the Son, have mercy upon us, miserable sinners. 
from sin, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from thy wrath, and from everlasting damnation. Good Lord, deliver us from all blindness of heart, from pride, vain glory, and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, and all uncharitableness. Good Lord, deliver us from fornication and all other deadly sin, and from all the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Good Lord, deliver us from lightning and tempest, from plague, pestilence, and famine, from battle and murder, and from sobbing death. Good Lord, deliver us from all sedition, privy conspiracy, and rebellion, from all false doctrine, heresy, and schism, from our days of heart, and contempt of thy word and commandment. Good Lord, deliver us by the mystery of thy holy incarnation, by thy holy nativity and circumcision, by thy baptism, fasting, and temptation. Good Lord, deliver us by thy agony and bloody sweat, by thy cross and passion, by thy precious death and burial, by thy glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Ghost. Good Lord, deliver us in all time of our tribulation, in all time of our wealth, in the hour of death, and in the day of judgment. Good Lord, deliver us. We sinners do beseech thee to hear us, O Lord God, and that it may please thee to rule and govern thy holy church universal in the right way. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to rule the heart of thy servant, the President of the United States, and all others in authority, that under them we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to be their defender and keeper. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to renew the legislature and the minister's estate with grace, wisdom, and understanding. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to bless and keep the judges and magistrates, giving them grace to execute justice and to maintain truth.
children and widows, and all who are desolate and oppressed, we beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to have mercy upon all men. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to forgive all enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and to turn their hearts. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee and to give and preserve to all use the kindly fruits of the earth, so that in due time we may enjoy them. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord, that it may please thee to give us true repentance, to forgive us all our sins, negligences, and ignorances, and to endure us with the grace of thy Holy Spirit, to amend our minds according to thy holy word. We beseech thee to hear us, good Lord. Son of God, we beseech thee to hear us. Son of God, we beseech thee to hear us. O Lamb of God, that takest away our sins of the Oh, oh. 
and grant that in all our troubles we may put our whole trust and confidence in thy mercy, and evermore serve thee in holiness and pureness of living, to thy honor and glory, through our only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, who has given us grace at this time of one accord, to make our common supplications unto thee, and as promised, that when two or three are gathered together in thy name, thou wilt grant their requests. Open thou, O Lord, the desires and petitions of thy servants, as may be most expedient for them, granting us in this world knowledge of thy truth, and in the world to come, life everlasting. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Join me in Psalm 17, found on page 21 of the Psalms of David in Meter. Page 21 of the Psalms of David in Meter, Psalm 17.
the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Galatians 3, verse 22. Both today's lessons reflect upon the great question of human existence. How can I be saved? How can I be saved? The religious lawyer who approaches Jesus asks this very question. He says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. Asked here, of course, for the wrong reason, to tempt Jesus. But nonetheless, it is truly fascinating, fascinating, how rarely the question of eternal salvation overtly pops up in our modern discourse light or otherwise. I talk with people all the time in the streets and restaurants and supermarkets. I wear a Christian uniform all around town, and no one ever asks me this question. The conversations are always about other things, about fixing some part of the person's life which isn't going according to our culture's plan. Or the conversation is an opportunity for the person to brag about how religious or spiritual they are, much like today's lawyer. It is a rare encounter indeed where someone talks frankly to me about how desperately fallen they are and how much they need a savior. Humanity has an incredibly powerful entitlement mentality. And that blocks us from seeing both our own sinfulness and our tragic inability to save ourselves. Frankly, we think we, deep down, we think we kind of deserve salvation. Because when compared to other people, we've done more right things than them. We hear Jesus say today, excuse me, here we, the lawyer says it for Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And we, along with the lawyer, say in our hearts, I think I'm pretty close to this command. One little question, though. Who's my neighbor? We think or say this lawyerly idea rather than answering Jesus to the only reasonable and logical response. Against thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified in thy saying, and clear when thou shalt judge. Behold, I was shapen in wickedness, and in sin hath my mother conceived me. That's, of course, Psalm 51, the psalm of David after his terrible sin, but not a psalm just for David. Right? If anybody in here thinks they're better than David, Go ahead and raise your hand. Well, we need to talk after this. So I talk to people all the time. I think, yeah, I think I'm better than David. Really? That's, that's something. Okay. That's fair. Better than the king of Israel. Man after God's own heart. Fine. Fine. That's all right. It's preposterous. But there's lots of people out there who think that. That's not about me, thank goodness. But when we mistakenly think, when we hear that, that that's not for me, we then begin to think that, well, actually, I can engage in a negotiation with the God of wrath and life, right? I'll sit down with them at a table, we'll work this out. 
And when we do that, of course, we become like the priest and the Levite who leave our brother to die in the street today. We cling to our own self-righteousness as if it were any protection against the death which haunts our existence. You can only be a priest and pass by that guy dying in the street if you think you're doing okay, if you think you're self-righteous. If we are dying, right, if we are like that man in the gutter, if we are dying, and I can assure you we all are in our own ways, then the path to life can only be found in a life which expresses the love which can actually defeat death. The love which carries adversity and suffering through the grave and into the new heaven and new earth. Where does that come from, right? How do I find that? Well, the grim tale of human history should reveal plainly enough that this love will not flow from the imagination or will of men. It isn't a love which will be forced out of us with gulags or concentration camps or motivational speeches. It must be a gift from God who created love. It's the only way we can have that love. And St. Paul tells us today how this God will make a love capable of saving all dying men. Indeed, a love capable of saving even priests and Levites. What really binds these two passages together is the shared idea of inheritance. Inheritance. What does it mean to inherit eternal life? That's the rub. Does one earn this great inheritance through our own righteous actions? Or are we the recipients of an inheritance whose author and finisher is God alone? Man's entire fallen inclination is to believe our so-called righteous actions are what save us. And this mistaken understanding of who we are leads to the violence and despair and selfishness which rages in the hearts of men. No one can be as violent or selfish as a self-righteous person. The person who thinks they're doing good and right is the one who can be the most violent and evil. As an example of how badly systems can fail when we try our best, as an example, there exists in our country today an epidemic of what are being called deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. This term is a helpful catch-all for deaths involving suicide, drugs, and alcohol. The Brookings Institute uh, has this harrowing set of statistics they say that between 2005 and 2019, an average of 70,000 Americans lost their lives to deaths of despair. 70,000. And as we sift through the wreckage of 2020 through 2022, we've already seen that these numbers are being elevated every year. In fact, it's just now regular to read the paper in about February or March and see that, yeah, we had about 100,000 people die from overdoses the year before. That just becomes standard operating procedure in America. And when you really dig down to the numbers, it gets even worse. You see things like, we think probably about 36,000 18 to 34 year olds 
die deaths of despair every year. 36,000 18 to 34-year-olds. There is an intense irony uh, visible in a society which will place armed guards in schools to prevent children from being murdered by nihilistic young men, but will do precious little to reform a failed system, a failed culture, failed institutions, which churn out generations of young people who are murdering themselves at the death rate of a Vietnam War every two years. That's incredible to think about. All this has happened, by the way, all this has happened within a country enjoying the greatest amount of national wealth in the history of humankind, surrounded by an unparalleled age of technology, entertainment, and even sexual possibilities. Add to this the grim figure that we're about 20,000 unborn children are violently prevented from being born every week, and we begin to see the enormity of the campaign against the young and the powerless. Vast campaign. But if we turn on the news, or God forbid, crank up social media, or even talk to our neighbors, manifestly few people are talking about this existential crisis. Why? Right? Of all the things, why isn't that number one on the list? Well, it's because it's hard. And there's no way to combat this actual holocaust and be the captains of our own self-indulgent personal salvation campaign. There is no way to fight evil on this scale and be worried about attaining the marks of modern righteousness. It's impossible. We can't prevent people from hurting themselves until we are prepared to die for them. And we won't ever be able to die for others if we don't fully trust that God has died for us. We won't ever be able to die for others if we don't faithfully trust that God keeps his promises, even if it means using his own body to smother the hand grenade of our selfishness. Here, this is why St. Paul is dragging us away from a reliance upon our perceived performance of the law, back to the foundational covenant made between God and humanity's representative, Abraham. God promised Abraham that the Trinity would save our broken world through the family of this old man whose very lack of sons and daughters marked him as a broken and worthless creature in the eyes of his fellow men. Abraham's creator, our creator, made an unbreakable promise to his unworthy, ungodly, impotent creature. It's an incredible thing. A creature whose only hope resided in the mercy and grace of the God whose love is most perfectly displayed on the cross we built to kill him. God cannot break his word. That's what Paul wants us to see today. God will not break his word. And so God the Son throws himself into the gears of pain and misery. Those gears we don't we like, like to think about, we pretend don't exist, 
He threw himself into those gears to save us from ourselves, to save us from all our self-destructed attempts to make the world a better place. We haven't begun to understand our desperate need for mercy and grace of God until we actually confront the horror even our good intentions bring. After all, all those statistics I just read, these are the painful indictment of a society whose purported goal is what? To leave a better world for our children. But what else can we expect? What can we, else can we expect from a human race whose ultimate act of self-salvation was to crucify God on a tree? Remember what St. John heard that day they crucified his friend and Lord. He tells us he heard, the Jews answered Pontius Pilate, we have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die. That's what they say. Doesn't that sound reasonable, though? Right to our ears? It's out of our hands. We're just following the rules. I guess we got to crucify this guy. Ah. But we hear it all the time around us, right? People will say stuff like, you know, in their actions functionally, I'm just following the rules of my culture, my society, my tribe. I can't be expected to trust in the promises of God more than I trust in what's expected of me. The unfaithful Jew's failure to trust in the unbreakable promises of God led them to murder their savior on a tree. We join with them, we all do, when we trust in ourselves rather than trusting in the promises of that same God, the same unbreakable promises. Our trust in our work or families or accomplishments to save us puts us in the crowd of people glad to see one more troublemaker destroyed. You know, so we can get back to the real business of saving ourselves. It's a cruel trap. It's an evil trap. And when that campaign fails, right, and it always does, our uh, trying to save ourselves, when it always fails, we are left with nothing but the gluttony, or flaw, or lust, or materialism, or even do-goodery. We are told will make us happy and fulfilled, but eventually leaves us with nothing. Absolutely nothing. We might say, I want to say, wait, that's not me. But how often do we let the rules of living in the present time get in the way of the life and love Christ reveals on the cross? All the time. How many times are we, the priest and the Levite, not walking to the temple, but walking from thing to thing in a desperate rush or slothful crawl? to avoid the sacrificial love we know will hurt. The opioid addict, he's simply the master of the self-salvation game. The champion of all the religions would say, I will worship whatever makes me feel the most pleasure. I will worship whatever makes me feel the most pleasure. No religion in America will go poor by putting that on the sign. It's what we want to hear. A blessing.
That's not how the universe works. In fact, every part of our universe, from the greatest evils to the most pure goods, is allowed to exist because it drives all those eyes that have been opened to see our desperate need for a savior. St. Paul today calls the law of God a teacher and a jailer because even the holy law of God was not the end of the human story, not the purpose of being alive, not the end of our great redemption and becoming. The law, like pain and death and suffering, is necessary because of our selfishness and sin. They are all necessary to drive our broken hearts to the cures for our woundedness. When we put our lives, our confused and messed up and screwed up lives, we put them up against the standard for humanity, up against the life and love of Jesus Christ. We suddenly realize that we are not even the priest or the Levite in this parable. No, who are we? We are the naked, dying man in the dungeon. That's who Jesus wants us to see who we are. We are the ones who have nothing to give except our pain and our loss. Nothing to give but our broken bodies and hollowed out souls. And yet, just like that man, we are saved. We are saved. Saved by our enemy, as Paul says in Romans 5. Saved by our enemy. The God of heaven and earth binds our wounds and makes us whole. He heals us with the tears and blood of his own body because it is only a love which gives unto death that can save anyone. It is only a love which gives unto death that matters at all. Only a love which can look at the broken bodies of the children of men and say, here, here are my sons and my daughters here is the beautiful family through which I will save the world. And so, let us allow the law to do its job. Let us allow it and the pain and death and suffering of the world to do its job, to drive us again and again and again to the love of the cross. To the love which saves no matter how vile or unworthy or unlovable the recipient of that love is. It doesn't matter. Beautiful. It doesn't matter if we feel that love. I don't really feel that love. Who cares? Right? Right? Your feelings are not the most important thing in the world. Our feelings are a broken barometer. It doesn't matter if we feel that love. Because just like the dying man in the gutter, God's healing means of grace will save us as surely as the loving care of the Good Samaritan saved his dying enemy. We are only to get up and pray and love and study and prepare for the new world we have been saved to enjoy. That's our job. That is how we inherit eternal life. That is how we will be saved from despair. That is how we will go and do that life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
page 251 of the Book of Common Prayer. Dear the beloved, on Sunday night, my purpose, through God's assistance, to administer to all those who shall be religiously and devoutly disposed the most comfortable sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, to be received by them in remembrance of his meritorious cross and passion, whereby alone we obtain remission of our sins and are made partakers of the kingdom of heaven. Wherefore it is our duty to render most humble and hearty thanks to Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, because he hath given his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, not only to die for us, but also to be our spiritual food and sustenance in that holy sacrament, which means to divine and comfortable the thing to those who receive it worthily, and so dangerous to those who will presume to receive it unworthily. My duty is to exhort you, in the meantime, to consider the dignity of that holy mystery and the great peril of the unworthy receiving thereof, and so to search and examine your own consciences, and that not likely, and after the manner of dissemblers with God, but so that you may come holy and clean to such a heavenly peace, and the marriage garment required by God in holy scripture, and be received as worthy partakers of that holy table. The way it means thereto is, first, to examine your life and conduct by the rule of God's commandments, and in whatsoever ye shall perceive yourselves to have offended, either by will, word, or deed, there to bewail your own sinfulness, and to confess yourselves to Almighty God with full purpose of amendment of life. And if ye shall perceive your offenses to be such as are not only against God, but also against your neighbors, then ye shall reconcile yourselves unto them, being ready to make restitution and satisfaction according to the uttermost of your powers, for all injuries and wrongs done by you to any other, and being likewise ready to forgive others who have offended you, as you would have forgiveness of your offenses at God's hand. For otherwise, the receiving of the Holy Communion doth nothing else but increase your condemnation. Therefore, if any of you be a blasphemer of God, a hinderer or slanderer of his word, an adulterer, or be in malice, or envy, or in any other grievous crime, repent you of your sins, or else come not to that holy table. Lest after taking of that holy sacrament, the devil enter into you as he entered into Judas, and fill you full of all iniquities, and bring you to destruction both of body and soul. And because it is requisite that no man should come to the holy communion, but with a full trust in God's mercy, and with a quiet conscience. Therefore, if there be any of you who by this means cannot quiet his own conscience, but require further comfort or counsel, let him come to me, or to some other discreet and learned minister of God's word, and open his grief, that by the ministry of God's holy word, he may receive the benefit of absolution, together with spiritual counsel and advice, to the quieting of his conscience, and remove it from all scruples and shallows. Please join me in hymn 100.
Amen. Please join me in hymn 389. 